Hey this is Sayyam Botani and you're listening to Chai Time Data Science a podcast for data science enthusiasts where i interview practitioners researchers and calculators about their journey experience and talk all things about data science Hello and welcome to another episode of the Chai Time Data Science Show. In this episode, I interview Hamil Hussain, who's currently a staff ML engineer at GitHub, and we talk all about the open source world and his life behind the open source world at GitHub, the projects that he's been working on, and his journey into the field of machine learning. We talk a lot about his. research ideas and the projects that he's been working on at github and before github in his previous life we also talk about fast ai his journey with fast ai and his best advice is to student along with his recent project so to speak fast pages which is one of the best ways to get started with blogging if you don't want to put it on a website that paywalls your blog so please stay tuned for that if you're interested i feel this interview has many hidden advices around open source and fast ai or even data science so to speak so i'm really excited to be releasing this interview quick reminder please remember to subscribe to my newsletter if you want to stay up to date with the episode releases there are two episodes releasing every week And secondly if you're a non native english speaker please remember to go to youtube and watch the video of the interview on youtube and enable the subtitles if you like for a better watching experience without further ado here's the conversation please enjoy the show Hi everyone. Today on the show, I have someone who's working on the other side of the open source world, if I may. Hamil, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm really happy to be here. Really excited to be talking to you. I I want to start by talking about your background because I'm curious. How did you get interested in machine learning? At what point in your career did did you find the inspiration to start your journey in this field? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. So. I'll kind of start from the beginning. Um, you know, when I was in college, I uh, undergrad, I studied industrial engineering, a lot of optimization, things like linear programming, uh, stuff like that. And my first job um, when I graduated was doing credit risk modeling. Okay. For for now, uh, a bank that is now no longer exists because of credit credit risk problems. <laughs> <laughs> And then at some point I decided to do uh management consulting. And uh I did that for about uh almost almost a decade, a little bit less than a decade. Mhm. Um and 
I decided at some point that that wasn't uh, something I wanted to do the rest of my life. And I wanted to do something like more hands-on. Uh, in the management consulting realm, I did a lot of what called data analytics. Um, so some machine learning, a lot of data cleaning, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, a lot of kind of reporting stuff, um, but some machine learning. And um, at some point uh, also, so like I got really burned out on management consulting <laughs> for a wide variety of reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, something that resonates with me when uh, Jeremy tells uh, people about his background, <laughs> about him being a consultant, is that he's almost recovered. Yeah, and I think that's hilarious because I, I, I feel like I really understand what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, maybe I'm not fully recovered yet either. Um, but to continue going on, uh, so I kind of had a quarter life crisis Mm -hmm. and I decided to go to law school Okay. because I just, I think I was so disillusioned from management consulting. I thought that, you know, I don't really care what I do as long as it's challenging and mm, perhaps I can make a living out of it. And I thought I had this idea that I can also help uh, use law to help people. Mm-hmm. Um, it turned out so I went to law school it was kind of uh, kind of a crazy bet on my part but I said eh, it doesn't matter life is short mm-hmm. and then I went to law school and I really hated it okay. I hated every moment of it I, I hated like it was just so you know I, I actually enjoy programming and um, data and looking at data and so it was just complete opposite of in so many ways. I ended up graduating, but then at uh, five or six days after graduating, uh, I realized like I can't spend the rest of my life doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to go back to do something that I like, um, to do something in tech. So kind of fast forwarding a little bit, um, I ended up doing a little bit more consulting just to get out. But then very quickly I transitioned uh, to tech. So the first startup that I went to was called Data Robot. It was very formative for me. It is a group of people that are kind of at, now and especially at that time as well, kind of the superstars of Kaggle. I had three or four number one Kaggle people in the world working there in the same company. And and so, and I also learned a lot through Kaggle. Um, I've never been good at Kaggle per se myself, um, uh, but I definitely learned a lot and I really respected that. And a lot of my friends uh, were also doing Kaggle. And and so it was really a great community. And so when I learned of the startup, I said, okay, like I need to join them. But my skills at that point weren't necessarily extremely polished especially when compared to the you know uh, sort of the group of Kaggle grandmasters um, and so I was I decided that I need to work at this company no matter what even if I can just sit next to these people and learn from them or ask them questions um, you know this is the best thing I can do so my first job at this uh, data robot was a sales engineer so that basically what that entails is going to customers and, and kind of demoing data robot and saying, this is what it does. This is how it works. Answering questions, 
so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And I actually learned a lot doing that. And I actually took the time to try to soak in as much knowledge from all of these people as possible, asking questions, trying stuff out on, on my own, kind of digging deep. And I learned so much from that. Um, and then I pivoted to do a lot of other roles at Data Robot. Then I became uh, more of more traditional data science stuff, um, sort of um, learned a lot about a lot of things. And that really helped shape me. Then at some point, um, for personal reasons, I had to move to San Francisco. So um, I thought to myself, okay, I'm in San Francisco. I should maybe try to experience what uh, what like a typical Silicon Valley company would look like. And what's <laughs> you know what's an exciting place to do data science? So at that time, I looked around and uh, there was Airbnb, and it seemed like a really exciting place to do data science. So uh, I applied, I got the job, and I think that was really helped by Data Robot. I learned a tremendous amount mm-hmm. at that at that company, and I think that was. Um, I think that I see, I see a good story for maybe uh, listeners of your podcast. Like you don't always have to enter in as a data scientist per se. You can try to find opportunities where you can learn somehow um, and be creative with how you take that journey. Anyways, so Airbnb, uh, Airbnb, I worked in the growth marketing team. So using machine learning to sort of, um, uh, optimize marketing spend for Airbnb. Um, and so I was, so to kind of go back, one thing I really liked about Data Robot is that I really resonated with me this idea of building tools for data scientists. I thought that, like, I, I thought that's something that I could really understand and really see the value of and something that gave me joy um, is, you know, it's something that that just brought me a lot of satisfaction. And so going to Airbnb, you know, I wasn't doing that, obviously. I started out doing machine learning, optimizing spend, but then very quickly, I sort of started drifting into making tools for data scientists. So how can we make the infrastructure better? Or what kind of tools can we build to make the process of using, you know, building models easier? And then um, for other, so then I had to move to Portland, where I live now. Uh, so I try to find a remote company that, uh, that allows me to do that uh, and that you know um, is remote first. And so I discovered GitHub. GitHub is a company that, it's, it's a remote first company. Mm-hmm. What that means is most people are remote and they have all this processes in place to facilitate remote work. Um, and so I started working there um so at github i did a variety of things um i focused a lot on natural language processing and looking at things like github issues or code and then i started again drifting back into tools for data scientists okay. so i realized this is, i keep coming back to this i just drifting into it naturally and so i'm actually at github now focused on building tools for data scientists who use GitHub. Now, there's not really that much there yet, but that's what I'm working on. Awesome. Uh, now, I, I also want to break a myth. Uh, 
masters of computer science class at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like a MOOC. Mm-hmm. This is before Fast AI was even available. It was okay. like, you know. Uh, and so for me at that time, I thought, oh my God, I'm this person that has a law degree and I have a, you know, undergrad in, you know, industrial engineering. Uh, you know, I felt that maybe my resume looked a little bit weird. So I thought maybe CS would be a way to wash my hands, maybe get some formal, formal training. Maybe it's helpful. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Um, I, you know, I will say it was a lot. I spent a lot of time doing that. It was actually a lot of effort. I, I didn't see my wife for probably a year or well, more, two years, maybe. Uh, I mean, I saw her, but you know, I'm kind of exaggerating, mm-hmm. but just get to give you an idea. And I, I don't, I mean, I did learn some things, but I will say that learning on the job, learning from people, learning from mentors, um, you know, that was way more helpful than anything else. Um, and things like fast AI, fast AI was incredible learning experience um, in a lot of different dimensions, which we can talk about. So I don't think it's necessary at all. Um, I think the kind of the best thing you can do is in your job that you have currently, try to find ways that you can apply machine learning, data science, um, using your domain expertise of where you're sitting. And, you know, if there's creative ways to get into data scientists, if you look at jobs, you don't necessarily have to start with the title data scientist. Um, there's a lot of paths to get there. So, yeah. I wanted to also demystify the CS degree formalism thing yeah <laughs> it's 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 like an insider secret and i i received a lot of heat on this when i went out and said i, I did a computer science degree i how i do hold a bachelor's but it didn't make me a better programmer just to let you know and you can probably do better even if you didn't go through the rigorous training of just studying what data structures are or how does an electronic board function because people think cs equals better code no it does not it it equals to more theory yeah definitely and i i to be honest i don't know how much of it uh theory i remember maybe maybe the theory is less scary to me when i see it or hear about it i kind of know what that is but is that worth 3 years of 2 years of torturing myself <laughs> i i'm not really sure i would say Maybe, perhaps not. I don't know. I, I, it's, it's actually funny. I, I now work at a company where I get to sit next to Grandmasters and we went to a meetup where someone was talking about compilers. And I remember telling him, this is the only time I found something that I studied in my college relevant to something that I'm remotely interested in. That's really interesting. I forgot that you work at H2O. And I would say there's a lot of parallels between DataRobot and H2O. Uh, 
and, and especially the environment. And yeah, I think it's an amazing experience uh, that you get to go through that actually, because a lot of really impressive people are working there, including yourself. <laughs> you, you've been too kind. I mostly sip, sip chai and talk a lot to the grandmasters, but I, I think I'm very fortunate to be here. Now, um, That's great. Yeah. C- coming to your journey, you're already working in the data science field. W- w- what led you to signing up for FASA? Many people do the opposite. They're looking for a job or maybe they are interested. W- w- why did you sign up for FASA? Um, so the way I found out about FASA is through Hacker News. Mm-hmm. Um, and this was back in the very first Fast AI that the was taught with, with the Keras. And, um, you know, until then, like everyone was talking about deep learning and it seemed very, I didn't, you know, I didn't know where to begin like learning it. It seemed very mystical. Like, how okay. do I learn this? I don't, I don't know if I understand. Uh, it was a little bit scary, intimidating to me at that time, the deep learning part of it. And I kind of had put it off for a while. And then I saw this on Hacker News and just the way that it was described, like in the very first sentence, deep learning without a PhD, or I don't know what the tagline <laughs> was. And it was like, okay, we're going to take you through this. It was Jeremy Howard. I knew of Jeremy Howard, not personally, but from Data Robot, you know, people you know, all the Kaggle grandmasters sort of talk about each other in, in a good way. Yeah. And I knew his name and I knew, okay, someone with that mindset, like kind of the Kaggle mindset of, of sort of doing things in a practical way, you know, that's going to be a really interesting perspective. I need to, I need to check it out, you know, and I want to learn like what, whatever this is. And actually like, um, yeah, I signed up for it. And actually convinced a bunch of my friends at Airbnb where I was working at the time to come with me. (laughs) Um, And then we all went and we all really enjoyed it. And one of the problems with the first course is it made me so productive that it kept me like, I couldn't really focus on the second iteration. Like by the time they finished the, uh, they converted to PyTorch. I was the first time made me so productive that I started five or six different projects okay. at, at work and otherwise. And it just kept me so busy um, that it took me a while to, you know, catch back up into like the PyTorch uh, kind, of, kind of version. I mean, it's not really a problem, but it is a funny uh, kind of, that's how good the course was. Uh, it's it's a good sense. problem to have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, I'm sorry, did you take the first part in course? And after after that, did you take them online or? I took a, so I definitely took them in person, but I think even when I was taking them in person, I viewed most of them online okay. because I mean, it's just better to like, in my, my, it's very convenient to look at material online. I can pause it. I can skip steps. I can go back, all that stuff. Um, but I definitely went in person sometimes. Um, so yeah, I mean, I did both. Um, okay. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, uh, how did you end up approaching the material? And this is maybe a bigger question towards the later iterations where it's, it's really a huge topic, at least in the community, how to do fast day. How did you do fast day? Any tips and tricks? How did it work better for you? Any, any secrets? So the way that I did it was, 
So I, I definitely didn't go through the material very rigorously, explore it. I just went with the flow of my learning. So what I mean by that is when I encountered a topic that I thought was useful, to, I try to look for opportunities to apply it at work um, or apply it to something that I'm doing. And sometimes these diversions would take me completely away from fast AI. Like it would just keep me so busy because, um, so for example, one of the, because I learned Keras, uh, which was, uh, I didn't really understand before that the, the first course, um, I was able to, you know, look for opportunities. Like I was working at GitHub at some point and, uh, I thought, okay, let me try to do something that summarizes GitHub issues. Okay. Because they probably it probably won't work, like because this issue is like it's not gonna. I'm not gonna <laughs> be. Able, but let me just let's give it a shot. And when you know uh, I tried it, it worked uh, reasonably well. And then it was just so exciting. And then that led to all kinds of other projects. Um, and so I just let the learning take me wherever it goes, with the priority being applying it. So like try to find ways to apply it um, on something you're doing. And then the benefit of that is your work becomes learning. And really I felt like I was just doing fast AI at work uh, all the time. And so that <laughs> was really, that's really enjoyable. So that was the key for me. And I still try to do that wherever possible. And uh, I, I feel I struggle with this as a student because when I started, I was in, in university any advice is there on how to find the passion project for people like me who struggle in the past to who, who maybe aren't working at a data science company currently or uh, don't have that killer idea or that passion project yeah you know the i would say it's okay not to have the killer idea you just want to be prepared when the killer idea comes. And, um, you know, there's other examples I can give you of fast AI where it really, you know, Jeremy, so there's one, I don't, I don't even remember what lesson it is, or this is gonna be extremely vague, mm -hmm. but um, it was something, some lesson about uh, apply, applying embeddings, um, you know, from images to, to completely outside the data set to a different data set. And for example, being able to label images of maybe, you know, like a fish when uh, a fish was not in the training set because of there's some uh, like kind of knowledge transfer. And then I thought, okay, I can, that's really interesting. And then he could search, he could, he could also, uh, he, he mapped one embedding space onto another embedding space. He described some paper. He's able to search the images for like, mm -hmm. you know, a fish on a boat or something. And that wasn't in the training set, but he was able to find it in some other data. Yeah. And I was sitting there in class. And I thought, I wonder if you can do that with code. <laughs> so, uh, and and so I was like went home and probably worked on that for a month or so. Like nonstop, I like forgot everything about the class. Like put that on pause, <laughs> and I went home. And so, but I guess like 
but before that, like there wasn't necessarily a killer idea. It was just keep listening and keep sort of learning, but then keep your mind open to the killer idea and be willing to completely explore that idea. Um, I think without fear, you can always come back to the class, but being able to apply what you learn in the class to a real problem that is where it really you can really cement itself and so um yeah I, I think that's how i go about it of course different styles different people but you definitely don't need the killer idea but it will come like if you're prepared for it to come i think that that brings me to two very interesting topics that i've always been interested in but for the audience i think i'm not sure but that was part two of the course i, I don't remember which i i don't remember it. anymore yeah that was a long time ago uh, yeah but uh, the, the first point is if if you're following mooc even though fast is a mooc it, it comes under that category completing a mooc isn't what you're aiming for especially with fast you're you're aiming at building skills because jeremy teaches you things in a fashion that it does uh, instigate your thinking it does give you stimulus and you're supposed to build projects off of it and not just stick against every lecture and that that's not going to be your takeaway yeah that makes sense yeah and sec- secondly like you mentioned if even if you if you're following a lecture the idea could come there and don't disregard the stupid ideas also to, to quote the best example uh, colorifying black and white images it's it who who knew it would work to to that extent yeah i think follow the ideas and try them out um you know and then the, another part is write about the, the ideas yeah. and share the knowledge that, i think that's a that's a key part of fast ai that um, i think is encouraged and maybe is underrated still underrated again uh, for for anyone who's curious i recommend one best advice which is by rachel thomas uh, the blog is titled why you yes you should blog that that's literally the title of the blog please look it up or scroll into the show notes to find it uh, but now now i want to talk about your current day job uh, what are you working on on github and what does a day in your life currently look like any tricks trips or tricks uh, sorry tips and tricks you found with re- remote work now that you're working remotely yeah um okay i'll start with what i'm currently working on so as i mentioned uh you know so i get how by been i've worked on a bunch of things so uh natural language processing for github issues i've worked a lot on representation learning of code using various techniques and as i mentioned vast ai gave me some inspiration to like work on that um for i kind of didn't appreciate i mean it wasn't really uh, aware of a way to try to go about representation and learning of code although i could have discovered it through other avenues it um kind of came, you know the idea came literally in a fast ai course mm-hmm. um and then i started pivoting to making tools for data scientists um and thinking about ways that data scientists struggle with their workflow and how github might be able to uh, help solve that so um certain things i'm working on is um continuous integration continuous delivery mechanisms for machine learning workflows 
So like, so you might in GitHub, you might be familiar with things like Travis or Circle CI that execute tests for you automatically before, uh, change, you know, code is merged into production. But then machine learning CI/CD is very interesting because uh, you might you might have your standard tests, but you might want to do additional tests. You might actually want to train the model mm-hmm. against, you know, a data set, and you might want to measure it against a baseline to know whether or not the change to your model should be merged into or, uh, you know, production or deployed to production. And, you know, the traditional CICD tools, it, it's hard to know how to do that. You know, it's not really built for that because the compute can be uh, large and, you know, the workflow might look a little bit different. So I've been working on tools for that. I've been working on uh, kind of a lot of tools that use GitHub pages to take information in a repo that is in a certain format in a standardized format and render it for, uh, for the end user. Um, so like if you have, if you put your metadata about your machine learning project in a certain format in your repo, then it gets uh, sort of, uh, in a pretty kind of dashboard thing. Um, funny enough, like I was working, so, for going back to the blogging subject mm-hmm. about why you should write a blog. So I've been using Medium for a long time and it's sort of been, na- it was nagging like in a way, like there's been some people on um, that, that I respect saying, you know, a lot of times I open a Medium link, there's a paywall and I just close it <laughs> because it's too, you know, because if you're on mobile, you know, you have to send it to an incognito window or something like that. It's not, you know, it doesn't take much to get people disinterested. Yeah. Uh, all they need is something to dissuade them and then they're done. And then I also started thinking, what if medium goes away? What if uh, someone buys them or what if they just decide to completely make you pay? Uh, what happens to that content? That's really sad. Uh, you know, and also I had, for the longest time, I had friends that had blogs uh, on their own. And I thought it was, always thought it was like magical. Like, how are you doing this? You know, I would uh, ask my friends, okay, how are you doing this blog? And it's like, oh, they were using So I go look at their repo and there's all this HTML, all this, the CSS in there, maybe some JavaScript and also some templating languages. And it was pretty, like some of it is idiosyncratic. Like I was like, okay, how did you figure this out? This is not data science. This is something like, yeah. it's, it looks complicated. Like I can't just read this code and like understand what it is, but your blog site looks cool and you've managed to figure it out. But like, that's crazy. Like, okay, I want to do a blog too. Like, how do I figure it out? This was nagging me for some time. Then I finally said, you know what? I'm going to figure it out. Like I want to figure out how to make my own uh, thing, my own page and get up pages. So kind of dug really in, uh, deep into Jekyll and GitHub pages, kind of went through it. Um, also did a lot of tutorials, HTML, CSS, all this stuff. Completely, this is not ML. This is not, yeah, yeah. probably for the past two months, I've not done really any ML at all. I've been doing all kinds of CI DevOps and stuff like this. But you needed to and, put... ML content out there, just to be fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean. So then, um, so at the same time, 
uh, Jeremy, around the same time I was looking at this, I saw that Jeremy posted Fast Template, <laughs> an easy way to make blogs on GitHub. So I was really excited about that. I was like, wow, okay, like that's really interesting. Somebody, uh, somebody uh, else is very interested in the subject apparently. And through some conversation with Jeremy, um, we got really excited about taking the idea further through fast pages. So fast pages is something I'm really excited about. Going back to why you should block. So before this, um, data scientists, you know, it's really hard to convert a Jupyter notebook into a block. It's yeah. not that easy. So what you would have to do is, I mean, the minimal version is maybe not that hard. You know, you take your notebook, you run NB convert, convert it to Markdown. Yeah. And then you save your Markdown file in a certain folder, but you have to take care that your images are saved also in a correct folder so that the links don't break and stuff like that. Um, and, you know, and then there's all this, all the details really add up. So you might have a lot of code in your Jupyter notebooks. Sometimes you want to hide the code. Sometimes you want to show the code. Sometimes you want to hide the code, but you want to make sure that somebody can easily see it. Yeah. Or sometimes you want to show the code, but make make it to where they can hide it without any of these plugins, without, you know, too much fuss. And you want to be able to do things that you do on other blogging sites like Medium. So Medium is nice. It looks nice. And it gives you, you know, this functionality. So you want to be able to embed pictures, local images, remote images. You want to have captions on your photos. Um, and, you know, while we're at it, since it's Jupiter, can we keep some of the uh, interactive visualizations interactive? Because that's one of the great things about Jupiter is it allows you to have visualizations. Mm -hmm. And also we want to have comments so people can make comments. You can communicate with your readers and you want to be able to have things like search and also uh, tagging of your blog posts into categories and all of this stuff that when you start to add all these details, it gets quite complicated for people. For um, sure. And, and so we wanted a way we started to think, is there a way that you can just, author a Jupyter notebook and just save it. And the rest just happens like just magically for you. It just becomes mm -hmm. a blog post. Yeah. And you can use convenient markdown syntax in the Jupyter notebook to say whether you want to hide a cell, show a cell, whatever. And so we realized that the combination of MB dev, which is a great fast AI project and GitHub actions, which allows you to automate a lot of things on GitHub it is a perfect combination for doing this. And so that's why we, we uh, launched fast pages, uh, which allow people, data scientists to share knowledge. Um, and you know, you can use other things other than Jupyter notebooks. You can use word docs. You can continue to use markdown files. The thing I'm most excited about is the Jupyter because really automated a lot of that stuff that was really hard to do. Um, and it gives you something that's not really available on Medium. You know, you can have your notebook and it automatically links back to GitHub. So there's, there's, you, and you can customize all of this, but 
you automatically get links to open the blog on GitHub or run it in Colab. So everything is transparent. All you do is save your file. And then all of a sudden, when you share that blog, it's very rich. And it comes pre-built with sensible defaults um, that really enhance kind of collaboration and visibility uh, and transparency in, in technical blog posts where you have code, you have visualizations, you have text. I've always, recently at least, I've developed a very strong opinion on Medium and I don't want to trash them, but I've I've completely moved away. I'm, I'm self-hosting my website right now. So I, I definitely, I'm very excited about this. And I, I do blog on Medium, but that's just for the audience that already have there. About fast pages, where is it currently for the audience that is itching to check it out? What can we expect right now? Yeah, fast AI slash fast pages. So, so the thing that's is magical in so many ways. So it's even the auto, the the setup is even automated. So what you okay. do is you go to fast AI slash fast pages on GitHub, and you'll notice the setup steps are two steps. One is click on a link, <laughs> and uh, you create your repo from the template, and then thirty seconds later, GitHub automatically will open a pull request, uh, changing the configuration of the repo so it will work under your username. And then um, all you have to do is you have to, there's one step where you have to add SSH keys into your repository, and that's in the PR, the instructions how to do that. Once you do that, you merge that PR, your blog is live. That, and, and then that's where the magic starts. Um, and then the magic continues where you write your Jupyter notebook, and you just save it into the notebooks folder. And then magically that becomes a new blog post. Um, and so, so that, that's really cool. And, awesome. Uh, yeah, that's kind of what you can expect. I want to give a shout out to Aman Arora, who's, who's been using it as an early adopter. It's, it's not early adoption, it's, it's almost ready, but do check out his blog and please do check out the project also if you're interested. I, I can definitely vouch for it. Coming to GitHub, what's your take on GitHub in the world of software 2.0, so to speak? Do you think GitHub is perfect or can, can we still get away with GitHub by adding, adding all of the features that you're working with? Or since, since GitHub isn't very ideal, so to speak, for Jupyter Notebooks right now, or may, maybe I, I'm being very picky here. No, no. I, I think that GitHub offers almost nothing for data scientists at the moment. But this is something that I'm really passionate about. And I think uh, people, you know, there's definitely be attention being paid to this. And there's definitely been work done on it. So the, the things that are there for data scientists, I mean, is Jupyter rendering of notebooks, which isn't perfect. But beyond that, there isn't much. So I agree with you. And um, that is definitely a huge opportunity. And that's something I'm, I'm trying very hard to change. Um, we'll see how it goes, but I'm optimistic. I'm also curious about your research pipeline. You're already working on some, some very interesting features. What problems are you currently working on and how closely integrated are those with GitHub? You also mentioned the issue summarizer. I think, I think you've done a few talks on it. Is, is it ready? Can we somehow request a beta invite for it? Yeah. I mean, so 
Um, that's a very interesting question. So some machine learning projects kind of in the research uh, kind of phase have been things like summarizing GitHub issues, um, natural language semantic code search, where we try to s demonstrate um, searching for code with natural language. Um, that's not keyword search. So like if you're searching for file server, you can find code that deals with that, even though the word file server doesn't exist anywhere in the code. Mm -hmm. And so we've, we've done, so done quite a few projects like that, um, but they've kind of parked in the research category firmly at the moment. Um, and at some point we'll maybe graduate from that, but they're, they're yeah. definitely parked there. And so I don't, I don't know if necessarily those features will ever make it into production or that research will make it into like some, uh, get a feature. Um, you know, that's, that's hard for me to say. Um, so I've kind of pivoted almost completely away from that kind of stuff to working on yeah. software engineering tools. So things like actions that can help automate various parts of the machine learning workflow. And I'll be, I'll, I'll be writing blogs about some of this uh, on the fast pages site. Hopefully soon you can read more about what this actions okay. is that I'm talking about. I know it's, it's fairly new and especially for uh, machine learning people, it might not be obvious how, how it could be relevant to them um, besides the traditional CICD stuff. Um, but, and also doing things like fast pages. I've been working on fast pages for at least three weeks, almost full time, trying to polish it up with the caveat that, you know, actually I'm not a front end person. I don't know <laughs> really, you know, JavaScript. Uh, I'm also learning. So, you know, definitely taking me longer than let's say somebody who's seasoned front end developer, but um, basically creating tools for data scientists is what I'm working on right now at the moment. So we'll see where it goes. Maybe I'll pivot back to machine learning, but this is kind of where this has taken me. I, I made a conscious effort to explore some software engineering tools, get better at that. Uh, and that's what okay. excited me at the moment. So, yeah. Awesome. I, I think this is also maybe may a tangent, but people think of research as something that academics do who have no idea about the real world data science. But here, even though you're working on products, it did lead you to publishing some amazing research. And th that that really speaks to the, I think, the field, broadly speaking, even if you're working on any problem that might have been sparked through general curiosity or wherever you're working, it, it could lead to research or very interesting projects or maybe both. Who knows? Yeah, definitely. And I think if you're working on some interesting problems, um, you, know, you also get to work a lot of times with interesting people. And so one of the benefits of, let's say, natural language semantic code search was I had the benefit of working with some very talented people, um, including at Microsoft Research, uh, which is a really, really cool organization of people, you know, that really talented in various aspects of machine learning. And so that was a personally a very rewarding experience. Um, and so there's also that. Um, you know, it doesn't, the research doesn't always have to become a product to be useful for you, I think. Yeah. 
talking more about the semantic code search how can we check it out and uh, what what can it currently do yeah so there's a um there's a paper on archive um if you you can google my name code search it'll show up that way it's also a github repo it's on github slash code search net we wanted to call it code net <laughs> but for various uh, legal reasons, we couldn't do that. Okay. So we had to put the word search in there. It's a little bit clunky because um, it's not really about search per se, even though that's the, the task that we uh, explored. It's about, um, it's really an open data set. It's a really large data set of code and uh, natural language. So it's a parallel corpus of code from six or seven different programming languages and their associated comments. So you can do anything you want with this data set. I think it's actually one of the more, more underrated data sets out there um, because it's, it's relatively untapped yep. in terms of, you know, people building things on it. Whatever Let's you say, do will, will be state of the art. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of cool applications like, you know, if you could um, build a better search engine or maybe you could, um, you know, fix, do uh, fix errors in code, variable misuse, detect variable misuse, better code completion. Um, this is all possible, you know, potentially with the data set that's out there in the one that we provide. So, so getting this data set yourself is actually very cumbersome. You would have to clone a lot of repos. You would have to use a language parsers to parse all the code in these various programming languages to parse out the code part and the natural language part, make a lot of decisions about how to do that, put it in a format that's amenable for machine learning. And you know, all that stuff is kind of what is a very high barrier to entry. So we have cleared that barrier to entry. We've done all that work and sort of hosted this data set for the community. So, um, it's really interesting. We have a Kaggle-like competition um, that we're doing in partnership with the Weights and Biases. Weights and Biases is an experiment tracking system. It's really cool. I suggest looking at it if you haven't. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think it's good and excited about that. Awesome. Now, before, before we end the interview, if you were to give one best advice to future learners who are too shy or maybe too intimidated, to even create a public repo, what would that be? I would say share your work, write about it. That's the, that's the most important thing. It doesn't even matter what it is. Even if you learn something tangential to machine learning. So when I was taking FastAI, I had to learn how to use Docker because we had a very complicated setup at work where I couldn't just install whatever I wanted on these GPUs. I had to encapsulate it in a <laughs> Docker container. But I had really, I had a lot of problems learning what Docker was at that time. And I, saw, I found some blog posts where they weren't helpful. So I was like, oh, you know, I'm just gonna write a blog post. I'm just making notes to myself, really. But no one's gonna read it. I mean, it's my first blog post, like, yeah. who cares? Um, that turned out for some reason, a lot of people read it. But then I got, <laughs> but then I made a lot of friends through that. Um, and uh, a lot of friends and also, uh, that opened up a lot of projects. Even just this is just Docker. It's not like it's not like you know it's a mind blowing thing, but it just you know that's the power of writing. It's um, 
it, it might be, it's very underrated. And I think um, no matter what it is, write about it, share your knowledge. It's almost as if you don't do it, it never happened. Like if you acquire some knowledge, but you never wrote about it, or you do a project and you don't write about it, it kind of, yeah. you know, never happened, like in a way. I, I definitely agree with you on that. Before before we end the interview, uh, I won't, I'll have the platforms linked in the description, but what would be the best platforms if you could just mention them for the audience that is too lazy to even scroll to the show notes? I'm sorry, the platforms? The platforms to connect with you or follow you? Oh, um, Twitter is the best one, I would say. Okay. Uh, my handle is my first and last name concatenated together. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. Uh, if if you can't find that, please search in the show notes and uh, find Hamil. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. And thank you so much for all of your contributions to the fast day community and even the community broadly speaking. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to give it a review or feel free to shoot me a message. You can find all of the social media links in the description. If you like the show, please subscribe and tune in each week to Chai Time Data Science.